This is a UC Davis Center for Poverty Research podcast. I'm Alex Russell. During the ongoing debate over the minimum wage last year, a number of media outlets reported that low-wage workers were taking out public assistance because they didn't earn enough on the job. MSNBC, the Los Angeles Times, and the Huffington Post ran stories about Walmart workers who had to rely on food stamps to get by. Ann Stevens, an economist at UC Davis and director of the Center for Poverty Research, was intrigued by all this coverage of the minimum wage. She got curious about exactly what the numbers were. Stevens was conducting a study on the earned income tax credit with economics PhD candidate Chloe East. They already had national data on how 172,000 low-wage workers used public assistance. The report suggested things like some huge fraction of McDonald's workers also receive food stamps or other benefits, but it was all kind of anecdotal. So I wanted to just take a really simple look where if you go to representative data sets, see low-wage workers, workers near the minimum, just tabulate how many of them are receiving different sorts of public assistance. And then if you look at workers earning slightly more, how many of those are receiving public assistance, really just to get an idea of how serious this issue or this problem is. First, they identified a subset of adult workers in their sample whose hourly earnings were at or near the minimum wage. That included those who earned from $7.25 an hour up to $8.75. Then they identified a second subset who earned from about $8.75 an hour up to $10.25. Between both groups, they compared the proportion of workers who use public assistance programs like food and cash assistance, Medicaid, and the Earned Income Tax Credit, or EITC. So what did they find? So, you know, raising the minimum wage is likely to reduce reliance on the safety net but maybe not by as much as you might think. 12% of the lower-income group used the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, known also as food stamps, compared to the higher-income groups, 9%. About 24% of the lower-income group used Medicaid, compared to 20%. Cash assistance and other programs were less frequently used. Stevens says that the reason so many even qualify for public assistance is that over the past 40 years, the lowest wages in the United States have either stagnated or declined. We can argue over the level of the minimum wage, but I think it's very hard to dispute the fact that at the current minimum wage level, certainly with a single worker, but even with two workers in the family, it's very hard to get much above a a poverty level income for your family. Most federal and state public assistance programs use the federal poverty guideline to determine eligibility. For example, income limits for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program max out at 130% of the federal poverty guideline. That means a family of four would have to earn less than $32,000 to qualify. Two parents working full-time to support two children would still qualify for this program if they both earn less than $7.58 an hour. The Congressional Budget Office recently reported that while to raise the minimum wage would reduce poverty, it would also reduce overall employment, though Stevens says that there isn't an agreement about by just how much. She points out that fewer people working would increase the number who use public assistance. Fewer hours and earnings would also reduce eligibility for important tax-based programs, like the Earned Income Tax Credit. A study by the U.S. Census Bureau found that the only public assistance program that raises more people out of poverty in the U.S. is Social Security. The EITC essentially subsidizes the wage of low-wage workers. And we find that about 38% of our workers near the minimum are eligible for the earned income tax credit. If you go up a little higher to $1.50 to $3 above the minimum, it's still around 30%. Advocates of higher wages argue that wages low enough to qualify workers for public assistance is a kind of cost shifting, that if companies pay a poverty level wage, it creates a reliance on tax-funded programs to meet basic needs. From the perspective of people critical of government programs, they're saying, well, they're, they're, they're working and yet they're still getting government assistance. But from the government's perspective, one way to reduce reliance on the safety net is for the private sector to offer higher returns. It's hard to force firms to do that, but the minimum wage is one way where we say, okay, you have to pay at least this minimum amount. 
Chloe East, the project's co-author, said that there are benefits to paying higher wages beyond reducing reliance on public assistance. So when wages become higher, employee turnover can go down as a result of higher job satisfaction, um, and so it could actually increase productivity. So how high would the minimum wage have to be to completely eliminate reliance on safety net programs? I don't think we really know that. Raising the minimum wage by $3 is sort of at the outer limits of what anyone is considering. And so even going up to the minimum, current minimum wage plus three, you don't eliminate reliance on the safety net. You still have plenty of families families with that hourly wage rate who are maybe not below the, not as many below the poverty line, but lots of them below two times the poverty line. Um, So at that rate, you're still going to be eligible for a lot of assistance programs. Right now, 28 states have minimum wages that are set higher than federal law. In California, the minimum wage is set to increase to $10 an hour by 2016. A number of cities, including Seattle, San Francisco, and most recently Los Angeles, have already moved to increase their minimum wage to $15 an hour in the coming years. In April of this year, Walmart raised its own minimum wage to $10 an hour. Two months later, it reported increased job applications and lower turnover. I'm Ann Stevens, the director of the Center for Poverty Research at UC Davis, and I want to thank you for listening. The center is one of three federally designated poverty research centers in the United States. Our mission is to facilitate nonpartisan academic research on domestic poverty, to disseminate this research, and to train the next generation of poverty scholars. Core funding comes from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. For more information about the center, visit us online at poverty.ucdavis.edu.